The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, tips for talking with Congress, ACB files a lawsuit, and an update on issues from the legislative seminar. Welcome to ACB Reports for May 2015. When visiting with a member of Congress, either in Washington or at a home office, a few skills and techniques will make a successful presentation more likely and, at the very least, leave the congressman or senator with a favorable impression of you and your organization. Emily Shetty, a former congressional staffer turned lobbyist, discussed these skills during the ACB legislative seminar. She was introduced by Eric Bridges. The do's and don'ts of a Hill visit. It's a fun topic, it's interesting. So what I thought I would do is bring a colleague and someone who I consider to be a friend who has worked on Capitol Hill to have her share some of her experiences, but also to kind of talk with you about what she views as being a good meeting, um, what she would want to hear from you, the constituent coming in to talk about your issues. This individual is somebody that really was the staff leader of the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act. She was the legislative director for Congressman Ed Towns of New York. And so I got to know her very, very well over the course of the legislative process of the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act. Please give a warm welcome to Emily Shetty. Thank you so much, Eric. Hi everybody, my name is Emily Shetty. I'm with the Stanton Park Group, um, a boutique consulting firm downtown in Washington. Uh, before I joined Stanton Park about four or five months ago, um, I was with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, a large patient advocacy organization um, for two years um, where I um, managed their work with Capitol Hill. I did a very similar job to Eric's and trained hundreds of advocates over the two years I was there um, at our annual legislative conference and made sure that we had a very successful Hill Day on Capitol Hill, much like yours will be tomorrow. And uh, before that, as Eric mentioned, I was the legislative director for Congressman Ed Towns, who uh, some of you may know um, is a social worker and before he came to Congress was actually an orientation and mobility instructor. He, um, that is why he's such a strong champion for the blind communities. So as Eric mentioned, I'm gonna talk a little bit today about some of the do's and don'ts in Hill meetings. The legislative process is a marathon. It is not a sprint. So even though tomorrow you will have the most wonderful meetings and you will have incredibly positive reception and everybody will welcome you in their office and you'll get great pictures with members of Congress and senators and everybody will tell you how they support you 100% and they're so excited to have you there and everything you want will be fixed today. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. But that's okay because you're making a difference. And with Capitol Hill, it's extremely important to have your voice heard. And repetition is a big part of that. 
So those of you who have been to Capitol Hill for more years than I've been in this game, congratulations because, you know, each of you, uh, whether you've never been to Capitol Hill before or you've been there 11 years or more, you're making a really big difference. But from the staffer's perspective and from the advocate trainer's perspective, and now from the lobbyist's perspective, I'll give you a little bit of kind of the, the general do's that I like to recommend to advocates when they go to Capitol Hill. Actually, your first do is before you get to the meeting. Number one, be early. Try your best to be there at least five minutes early, if possible. Now, I know that for some meetings, it's just not possible. Capitol Hill is really hard to navigate. It's very confusing. There's lots of underground tunnels. It can get, it's easy to get lost in Capitol Hill. But if you are able, please try and come early for your meetings because um, every staff member allots 30 minutes for your meeting. Some staff even a lot less. They allot about 15 minutes for your meeting, which seems very sad. Uh, you guys came a long way. You want to be heard. Um, but um, every second of that time is precious, and if you can get there early, you might get squeezed in just a little bit early, so you might get a little more time, which is nice. Then when you get there, you want to check in with the front desk. Um, if you have a business card, um, hand it to the staffer that's sitting in the front and tell them who you're there to see, what time your appointment is, and they'll welcome you into the office. And then a few minutes later, hopefully not much longer, uh, the staffer or member that you're meeting with uh, will come out and you will meet with them either in the office, inside the office, which is always preferable, but sometimes you have the exciting privilege of getting to meet outside of the office uh, because on the house side, the space is so limited, the offices are so small that you have to um, sometimes take a meeting in the hallway. Um, I took probably hundreds of meetings in the cafeteria. I used to have this little hiding spot that was like kind of by the elevator bank, but it was like this little window recess. I used to take meetings there. Obviously, you know, it was my preference to be able to have um, my guests, um, to have them as comfortable as possible when we met, because I know especially for first-time advocates, it can be a little bit, you know, like sometimes people are a little bit nervous when they come to Capitol Hill. Um, so wanted to make sure everybody was really comfortable, but that wasn't you know, always something I could do because we had two meeting spaces and that was really it. So everybody was taking meetings simultaneously. Congress is in session this week, so the members in town. So that office is always occupied. So if you're not scheduled for that office, then you know, chances are you might have to meet outside, but that's okay because, um, you know, the staffer will do their best to make you feel as comfortable as possible as you engage in your meeting and you talk about the issues that matter to you. So once you're there, you introduce yourself to the staffer, wherever your meeting location is, thank them for their time, and uh, be polite. Have a nice, friendly conversation. Um, talk about sort of why you're there, but start the meeting with your ask. So explain why you're there. Generally speaking, I like to say that meetings are kind of like sandwiches. Um, and uh, since I'm part Bulgarian, I'm a huge fan of bread. So <laughs> I like the beginning and the end of the meetings where you, but, but that's where you really want to make sure that that's where you have um, your emphasis. The staffers have back-to-back -back meetings all day when they're in session. Sometimes they go to committee, they come out of the meetings. It's a very, very busy day. So you want to start your meeting with the ask, end the meeting with the ask. It kind of 
a little bit of repetition, but it's helpful because the staffer will immediately start taking notes as soon as you tell them what you're there for. So you want them paying attention and focused on what you're there for. So, you know, hi, Congressman uh, Bridges. I'm Emily Shetty. I'm here on behalf of uh, the American Council for the Blind, and I'm here today to ask for your support of the following three pieces of legislation. That's how you start your meeting. And you say, you know, I live in this part of your district, and I vote for you every year, and I'm so proud to have you as my congressman. Uh, and it's because of that that I'm here today to ask for your support. And then you want a little um, sentence description of, like, bill number one. I know you guys have three asks while you're here. So bill number one, sentence description, this is what this bill does. And then tell a story. So if you have a, a member in the room who is enrolled in Medicare and has direct experience with the program or with the legislation or has a story to share, then it's best for that advocate to share that story and be the advocate for that bill. And then bill number two, sentence description, and then you change advocates maybe or the same advocate. We'll talk about how that bill is important to them. Bill number three, and then and then you close again with your ask. That's the most concise way to kind of get through your meeting, but it's also a very efficient way to really explain why you're there, and you anchor each of the three bills with a story so that it's memorable. Um, I probably, in all honesty, I could, I could tell you very frankly that um, I don't remember every piece of legislation that an advocate came to talk to me about. But I do remember most of the stories. So that's really what your presence in Washington is helpful for. You are able to illustrate why these issues matter, why a staffer should care, why a member should care, and ultimately why you want the member to act in the way that you're asking. Co-sponsor the bill, sign this letter, be an original co-sponsor, whatever the asks are for your three pieces of legislation, that's how it becomes memorable. And, you know, staffers... Don't expect you to be, generally speaking, the issue experts. They expect that if they have questions on the mechanics of the legislation that they can call Eric um, or somebody within ACB and you can always give them a contact person at ACB that they can call or email. But what they do want to hear is why this issue matters to you. So that's really your purpose in Washington during the meetings. I know again, Many of you could teach me um, this lesson, but I'm sure all of you have stories of you know, meetings that have gone well, meetings that have gone a little bit less than well, and ultimately it's those really efficient meetings that, where the, they're anchored with stories that I remember on Capitol Hill as the ones that really helped illustrate an issue and helped me explain to the congressman why he should support a piece of legislation. So now to the fun part, a little story about um, a don't. Um, so um, when I was on Capitol Hill, I saw a lot of really great meetings, really, really wonderful meetings, met with many advocates who were very passionate about the issues that they cared about. And I also saw a couple of meetings that kind of were in that don't category. So, so the biggest sort of don't is try really hard not to engage in shock and awe lobbying, where you uh, try and um, illustrate a point by doing something really extravagant. Because then you become memorable, but maybe not for the way that you want. <laughs> right? I'm sure some of us have seen this in other areas of life. 
Um, I'm sure nobody has ever done it. Nobody will tomorrow. But uh, one story that comes to mind was a couple of years ago when I was on Capitol Hill, there was um, an advocate who came in. Um, She was a physician, uh, an oncologist, and she was very passionate about Medicare covering a different type of breast implant for women who had breast cancer. Basically, Medicare only covered one type. It was a very unfavorable type. It was a very cheap type. It was not very pleasant looking. And she was advocating for a newer, more kind of um, patients would appeal or found this other one a little bit more comfortable. They wanted that one. So Mr. Towns, uh, in addition to being a social worker and one of the nicest people in Congress um, and maybe on the planet, um, he was a 78-year-old Baptist minister at the time. And um, so he wasn't planning on taking this meeting. Um, He was actually scheduled to take a train to New York that day. They were adjourning. Congress had adjourned already. But it was raining. It was kind of gross weather outside. So he welcomed the advocate um, in and said, you know, um, come on in. You're in great hands with Emily here. She'll she'll take this meeting in my office, and I'm sorry I can't be here, but have a great day. And he left. And then a few minutes later, as we're, um, you know, going through the meeting and the um, advocate had explained the issue a little bit, um, she had this um, little bag in front of her, and I didn't know what was in it. Um, <laughs> um, and the congressman ran in and said, oh, excuse me, guys, I'm sorry to bother you, but I forgot my rain boots, and now i got to run uh, to the train. But, you know, again, I hope your meeting's going well. And she pulls out of the bag um, samples of the different implants, <laughs> the, the, um, the one that Medicare covers and the one that she wanted Medicare to cover. And she said, congressman, congressman, which of these do you prefer? <laughs> oh, it was bad. It was bad. And he was so uncomfortable. He was so uncomfortable. And I could just, you know, I could just sense, like, how uncomfortable he was because he was this, like, super sweet 78-year-old man, you know? And, like, who is this lady? <laughs> um, so he uh, quickly pointed at one and ran. <laughs> and, but... In any event, uh, that meeting has stuck out in my mind for obvious reasons. (laughs) You know, because it was one of those sort of moments where the advocate engaged in shock and awe techniques to try and become memorable, right? Like, you know, if I show them these two samples and the congressman sees them, clearly he'll be on my side. So anyway, um, try not to do that. It's very important to really um, illustrate your point in a very respectful, polite way without uh, engaging in kind of that shock and awe tactics. Well, Emily, we really appreciate you taking time out of your Thank you so much. Emily Shetty was recorded during the ACB Legislative Seminar in February 2015. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Sometimes, following established complaint procedures or good faith negotiations simply do not work. In such cases, it often becomes necessary to stand your ground and file a lawsuit 
in order to hopefully prove your point and achieve desired results. Such is now the case in an ongoing issue between Washington, D.C. area taxi companies and individuals with service animals. Eric Bridges explains. Two years ago, ACB was reached out to by uh, the local CBS affiliate, WUSA Channel 9, to take part in an undercover taxi investigation that looked at, among other populations that are often discriminated against, individuals who use guide dogs. And so myself and uh, my colleague Melanie Brunson went out and spent uh, time on a on kind of an ugly day, frankly. It was rainy um, and cloudy and kind of cool in, uh, in April, and attempting to hail cabs on the street in D.C. with a, uh, a cameraman shooting uh, from across the street, a producer um, standing several feet behind us, alerting us when we should begin to try and hail cabs, and then uh, a reporter stationed on my side of the street, maybe 100 feet further down the block. And uh, what wound up taking place is that over the couple hours that I was there participating, roughly four out of eight taxis passed by me without picking me up, and they did not have passengers in their vehicle. So what wound up taking place is um, I filed four separate complaints with the Washington, D.C. Office of Human Rights four separate complaints because these were four separate cab companies, Yellow, Grand, Pleasant, and Elite, and went through a process through the Office of Human Rights uh, attempting to resolve these issues with each one of these companies. Um, And unfortunately, that process was unsuccessful in resolving uh, the issues at hand. So on March 16th, I, along with the American Council of the Blind, filed a lawsuit in uh, D.C. Superior Court against these four separate companies under the D.C. Human Rights Act as well as the Americans with Disabilities Act. Was this discrimination because you were a guide dog user, or do you have documentation of uh, others who use canes also being passed by or... This lawsuit is about my experience. Part of the challenge that we as individuals who are blind encounter in verifying that the discrimination is happening is that there's almost none of the time any sort of video evidence. And if there is a witness, it's usually a good Samaritan that's trying to help us hail a cab or grab a cab. And... um, the, the challenge then becomes, okay, does that person, is he or she able to tell you the name of the cab company, the license plate number, the, the make of the car, blah, 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 so that you can file the complaint? Then the challenge becomes maintaining contact with that individual, that Good Samaritan, because they will be called upon through the process to uh, as, a, as a witness. And so... These are some of the most very difficult 
uh, acts of discrimination to try and prove, because as we all know, a taxi sounds just like any other vehicle that's going by you as you're attempting to hail a cab on the, on the curb. So that's what this is really about, was my experience. But it is my experience that Channel 9 reached out to try and get that we've heard from people for, gosh, probably decades um, who are blind that use guide dogs in Washington, D.C., either residents or tourists visiting. Any idea what prompted Channel 9 to initiate this report? I believe that they had received some complaints. Again, this investigation didn't solely look at individuals who are blind that use guide dogs. It also looked at young African-American men being discriminated against, as well as people using wheelchairs and the prevalence of cabs to pass them by as well. So we were a part, but we weren't the sole focus of their investigation. You mentioned the, the laws in D.C. and also the Americans with Disabilities Act. In whatever the outcome of this is, is there ramification for companies across the United States because of the ADA? Well, you know, this this issue is one that I think a lot of jurisdictions will begin to sit up and, and take notice of. And just the press release and the press coverage that it received the day that we announced the lawsuit was pretty amazing. Yes, technically it is a local story to Washington, D.C., because these are four cab companies in the District of Columbia, but it was picked up by social media, and it went literally all over the world because Washington is a city of the world, and people tend to pay attention to what goes on. You know, I think some of this will hinge upon where the case goes from here. You know, it's still very early days, and so, uh, you know, the litigation process can sometimes take years. Again, what you're doing is very important, certainly for folks in D.C., but to show anyone who's having this type of issue anywhere in the country that uh, you don't have to sit on your hands and, and take this. If you can get enough evidence together, you have the same option in your neighborhood. Exactly. And we hear all the time from individuals calling our national office from around the country that this is an issue of discrimination that persists, you know, even after, you know, 25 years of the ADA being in effect. And so it's unfortunately one of these issues that isn't going to go away. And one of the only ways to be able to push back against this sort of discrimination is to call it out when you see it and to alert the proper authorities. Well, good luck in that endeavor, and as you said, your press release almost went viral, so uh, there are people who are aware of the issue anyway that probably were not aware of it before then, so that's a good thing in and of itself. We had, amongst snow and uh, flight delays and many other things, a very good legislative seminar this year uh, with uh, several issues that were taken to Capitol Hill. What can you tell us about those issues and uh, what has happened, especially since uh, everybody went to the hill in the snow? Just a couple weeks before we got together for the legislative seminar, our Medicare demonstration bill uh, was reintroduced. And uh, remember, this is the bill that will, uh, 
through a five-year demonstration project, seek to have certain low vision devices covered by Medicare. And these are generally the more function-rich, more powerful, and uh, frankly, probably more expensive devices that can uh, do more and remain with you as your vision changes to have them covered under Medicare. H.R. 729 is the bill number, and it was introduced by Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and uh, Congressman Gus Bilirakis. And um, I'm pleased to say that we're up to 10 co-sponsors, which is good progress. Uh, Bipartisan, um, which is always key for our issues and getting them visibility and ultimately getting them to move and, and pass. So I was pleased with that, and, you know, we got a long way to go with it, but it's good progress. The other issue is the Alice Cogswell and Ann Sullivan Macy Act, which is our special education bill. And we are actively working to get that reintroduced in this Congress. And um, it is our expectation here that in the coming couple of months that will happen. So right now the thing to do is contact your representatives to say, this is something we'd like for you to sign on to. Yes, please co-sponsor H.R. 729. And so the uh, Alice Coxwell and Sullivan Macy Act, of course, does not have a number yet since it has not been introduced. Right, but what I would do is reach out to your members, in particular Republican members of the House, and encourage them to reach out to Congressman Matt Cartwright's office. He's a member of Congress from Pennsylvania. Urge them to reach out to his office um, for more information, or if they want to be a lead sponsor, that would be excellent. And as always, if, if there are questions on this legislation uh, or the Medicare legislation, you know, don't hesitate to uh, reach out to me. Uh, my email is ebridges at acb.org, or you can call the national office at one 800 424-8666. And I don't know if we've mentioned it in this program since this began happening quite some time ago now, but the uh, toll-free number is now answered anytime the office is open. It used to be it was only answered during certain hours of the afternoon. Yes, from 9 to 5 Eastern it is answered. That was Eric Bridges, Director of External Relations and Policy for the American Council of the Blind. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.